with the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And a welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023, the Feast of Blessed Francis Xavier Silos. He was born in 1819. Francis Xavier Silos was born in Fusen, Germany, and he expressed his desire for the priesthood from an early age. He entered the diocesan seminary of Augsburg after completing his philosophy studies. But in 1842, Silos entered the diocesan seminary, but then he was touched by the letter of the Redemptorist missionaries in the United States. So he decided to join the Redemptorist congregation and work as a missionary in the U.S., In 1843, he arrived in the United States and completed his novitiate in theological studies and was ordained in Baltimore, Maryland on December 22, 1844. He became pastor of St. Philomena in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, working closely with St. John Nauman, dedicating himself to preaching missions and serving as a redemptorist novice master. Isn't it interesting how the saints always were friends with other saints? I think that's a very important lesson that we should keep. Who is the company we keep? Asilos was a candidate for the office of Bishop of Pittsburgh, but was excused by Pope Pius IX. He became an itinerant missionary preacher instead, traveling to various states, preaching both in German and in English. In fact, during his life, it was a time of the Civil War. And so what did Xavier Silos do? Well, he was assigned during this time as pastor of the Church of St. Mary of the Assumption in New Orleans, Louisiana. He cared for victims of yellow fever there, and he himself contracted the disease later on. But during the Civil War, he decided that he wanted to make sure that his seminarians, his novices, would not have to go and fight in the Civil War, because it would be unjust for a priest to shed the blood of man. And so he walks from New Orleans all the way to D.C. to confront Abraham Lincoln and ask him to excuse his priest or his seminarians, rather, from fighting in the war. And guess what Abraham Lincoln told him? He told him, no, he said, no, you cannot excuse you. And so he had to raise money in D.C. to pay the fine that apparently I didn't even know this was a thing that during the Civil War, you could actually pay money to be able to not fight in the war. And so he was able to raise enough money to keep his seminarians from having to fight in the Civil War. On October 4th, 1867, he contracted yellow fever and died at the age of 48. He was beatified in the year 2000, and he is commemorated on the, on the martyrology today. His national shrine, the Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, is actually at St. Mary Assumption Church in New Orleans. And you can go there today and go visit his body. I have actually, not that long ago, a few years ago, I went to go visit his body. A very beautiful church in New Orleans. And it's just amazing to think about. We had saints walking the streets of our country. We had saints walking the streets of Louisiana. If you are a native Louisianan, if you have that kind of uh, history, Learn about your history. This, these So many saints walked the streets of Louisiana. It blows my mind. People don't realize how holy Louisiana used to be, and so much so. And I think that's why the devil hates Louisiana so much and attacks Louisiana so much, because we have such amazing saints that are there 
in New Orleans specifically, but all of Louisiana as a whole. So let's meditate upon this today. Let's ask for the intercession that we can have great saints in our country once again, and that we have the missionary spirit of blessed Francis Silos willing to leave your homeland in order for the salvation of souls. Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, pray for us. And joining us again today is Rudy Carlos. Ah, it's been so long, Rudy. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Such fanfare. And it's so true, Adrian. You know, today especially we have this opportunity to meditate upon this, this concept that uh, we may be the next saints, the next American saints. We're walking the streets right now. It could be us if we only try a little bit harder today. So true. So true. I know I was reading his life and I was just thinking – Whew, I could be a saint. I just have to, I just have to will it. Just have to yeah. actually want it. Because, you know, most of the time I'm like, I could do something more virtuous or I can go get a burger and some ice cream and watch some YouTube videos. And I'm like, eh, I'm going to go do the, the lesser, the lesser thing instead. And we could actually be, we could be saints. We just have to want to do it. And I think that's most of our problems. Most of us just don't really want to be saints. Yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, picking up that cross is very difficult. And, uh, you know, we've all been there before, but uh, it is a wonderful opportunity for us to pick it up today and uh, bear our, our, you know, our sufferings, our joys, and offer everything up to our Lord. It's a wonderful day to do that. Amen. Yeah. So uh, maybe today we won't go to Culver's. That's a great idea. We'll <laughs> offer up the cheese curds today. Uh, we'll offer the cheese curds uh, for the, for the salvation of, of souls. Yes. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Oh. <laughs> All right. Coming up on the show today, at 15 past the hour, a bunch of news outlets are reporting that there were Orthodox Jews spitting on Christians in the Holy Land. And Cardinal, the newly appointed Cardinal, actually, uh, Pizzabala, has spoken out against this. So we'll talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Mr. Julio Laredo will be on to discuss the new document from Pro Francis, Laudate Deum. And Alan Smith will be joining us from Bishop Sheen today, talking about Calvary and the Mass. A very good topic to discuss, especially in our times. And I think that is going to be a great conversation, as always, with Alan Smith. It's always a great conversation to have with Alan. And there is so much other stories that we're going to talk about, including the Ohio Archbishop has spoken up. Praise be to God. What did he speak up about? What did he speak up about? We'll tell you at 15 past the hour. So stick with us. We're going to have a ton of stories. So stay with us this entire show. But let's begin in prayer. It is the month of October dedicated to the Holy Rosary. And so we'll pray to Our Lady of the Rosary today. Hey, this is a prayer that's often said before the recitation of the rosary. So we'll say this prayer and then you're ready to go for the rest of the day for praying your rosaries. And we'll pray for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church for our friends, family and benefactors and all those that we promise to pray for. We pray in a special way uh, for my grandfather who's suffering greatly at this moment that he be miraculously healed or else God grant him the grace to offer up his sufferings uh, for the salvation of souls. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Virgin Mary, grant that the recitation of thy rosary may be for me each day in the midst of my manifold duties, a bond of unity in my actions. 
a tribute of filial piety, a sweet refreshment, encouragement to walk joyfully along the path of duty. Grant above all, O Virgin Mary, that the study of thy fifteen mysteries may form in my soul little by little a luminous atmosphere, pure, strengthening, and fragrant, which may penetrate my understanding, my will, my heart, my memory, my imagination, my whole being. So shall I acquire the habit of praying while I work without the aid of formal prayer. By interior acts of admiration and of supplication, or by aspirations of love. I ask this of thee, O Queen of the Holy Rosary, through St. Dominic, thy son of predilection, and renowned preacher of thy mysteries, and the faithful imitator of thy virtues. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Now, here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. McCarthy announces he won't seek speakership again after being ousted from the role. Eight GOP lawmakers joined the 208 Democrats to vote in favor of ousting Representative McCarthy, while zero Democrats voted against removing McCarthy as a speaker. 210 Republicans voted against yanking McCarthy out of the role. Now, among the newly suggested speakers, uh, well, we have former President Donald Trump and Representative Chip Roy from Texas. And nearly all ethnic Armenians have fled Nagorno-Karabakh. According to the Armenian government, 100,617 Nagorno-Karabakh refugees out of a population of 120,000 have been forcibly displaced. The government said that 345 refugees are currently receiving medical care and that many of them remain in critical and extremely critical condition. Until a short but intense Azeri military offensive re-established control of the region on September 19th, Nagorno-Karabakh was majority ethnically Armenian and Christian. And Breitbart reports 800 climate spy cameras damaged or stolen as London revolts against green agenda. You love to hear it. London's Metropolitan Police has revealed that nearly 800 spy cameras installed to enforce far-left Mayor Sadiq Khan's green agenda car tax have been stolen or destroyed since May. In August, Mayor Khan expanded the ultra-low emission zone, a system of fines and levies originally intended to reduce traffic and pollution in central London, to the entire greater area of the British capital, thereby taxing thousands of workers driving anywhere in the city, including in suburban and semi-rural areas between £1,250 and £2,750, if their vehicle did not meet the local Labour Party government's climate standards. But despite vigilante actions taken by the public against the spy system, the government says it will not deter them from enforcing the climate agenda throughout the entirety of London. Well, I think uh, they're probably, uh, if more people keep doing this, their pocketbook's going to hurt. But those are some of your headlines today. Stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Thank you, Rudy. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Now, we're only going to focus in on verse 2 here. Isn't that crazy? We're only going to focus in on one verse. Uh, But a lot has been said, and Cornelius Lapide commented extensively on this passage. But here in verse 2, he says, And he said to them, The harvest indeed is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he send laborers into his harvest. Now, this is a very important thing. Of course, this was a passage that regards holy orders uh, calling people into the vineyard. Now I'm thinking about Francis Silos being called to be a missionary, called to save souls. Are you called 
to save souls either by missionary work, either by contemplative life, by your prayers, by your actions, by your sufferings? Are you called to save souls in this way? It's a question to ask because, indeed, there are a lot of souls out there. The opportunity are, is great, but we need more people to pluck the fields, kind of how you may see this in, in your life. There are many cases where farmers will grow crops, and these crops will be massive. They'll have this massive plot of land and tons of crops, and a huge percentage of the crops go to waste. Why? Because they do not have the laborers and or enough to try to pluck all of the harvest. And so what happens? They fall to the ground and they die. This is what happens for souls as well. The souls, there are so many souls out there that are ready. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for your sufferings, for your sacrifices, for your evangelization. They're waiting for you. But there are not enough people out there to try to save their souls. So what happens to them? Well, just like the harvest, a lot of it withers and dies. So this is very important for us that we pray that the Lord of the harvest, that he send laborers into his harvest. And perhaps you are that laborer. The one other thing I want to bring up is that our Lord in verse one says he sent them two by two. Why two by two? Now, St. Augustine comments on this extensively, especially since in his rule, it's very important. And the reason why he sends them two by two is because here's a major reason, not the only reason, but a major reason that if one were weary from or from any cause unable to carry on the work, the other might take his place. Two are better than one, for if they fall, the one will lift up his, his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. Now, this is important because this is a very sad state affair of the priesthood because there are not enough harvesters. Because there are not enough laborers in the field, so many priests live alone. And when you live alone, it becomes incredibly difficult to be virtuous. It becomes very difficult to get up when you fall. And St. Augustine talks about this in his role in a very extensive manner. He says this is a, a remedy to temptation. It is a remedy to sins against purity. Because when you have accountability, when you have somebody there looking after you, well, like Thomas of Canterbury says, woe to him that is alone. So let us recognize that we need brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's foster holy friendships. And maybe, just maybe, you are called to be a laborer in the field. We'll be right back with more. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a patron saint? The classic professions such as soldiers or doctors have patron saints who represent the ideal of soldiering or doctoring. And yet, so many of the trades and crafts on which the modern world depends do not have an ideal figure. There is no patron saint of plumbers, for instance, and G.K. Chesterton says there should be. It would be a revolution, for it would inspire each individual plumber to consider that there was once a perfect being who actually did plumb. In the meantime, what do plumbers and the rest of us do? Chesterton says, keep before your eyes the supreme adventure of virtue. If you're kind, think of the man who was kinder than you. That's what is meant by having a patron saint. Want more than a minute? Visit us at chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there are a lot of stories in the news today. And one of these stories was very interesting to see being picked up by mainstream media. I mean, this was picked up by a number of outlets. I'm reading this from Timcast News. Here it says, it's talking about this video. The headline is, Orthodox Jews recorded spitting at Christians in Jerusalem. The Christian worshipers were carrying a wooden cross, retracing Christ's route before crucifixion. Now, you can go see this video online if you'd like. Uh, there's, it looks like mostly a Vietnamese community. I could be wrong. Um, definitely Asian community of Christians. It's hard to tell what kind of Christian. Uh, they could be Catholic. I've never seen Protestants do away at the cross, but I guess it's a possibility that they're Protestants. The, being in the Holy Land, I guess what else do you do than follow the footsteps of Christ, right? So it's hard to tell what kind of Christians they are. But they're carrying the cross and they're walking through the streets and you see these Orthodox Jews walk past them and spitting at them as they're walking by. Now, many Jews came out condemning this. You can go and see on Twitter. They were like, oh, this is very bad. Um, The Prime Minister Netanyahu came out and said that he wants to show zero tolerance against anyone who harms worshipers. Uh, there is a number of people. Foreign Minister Eli Cohen also came out and said that he condemns the ugly act of spitting on Christians. There are many other people that came out as well, but those were a couple notable people. Now, the re- problem is, though, that this is not an isolated incident. This is just one particular incident that has gone viral. In fact, whenever I was visiting the Holy Land, I was actually told by uh, by people who have been before that, you know, if you're a priest there... The, the the Orthodox Jews will not treat you very li- uh, kindly. And I actually experienced this personally, with not with the Orthodox Jews, but with the Hasidic Jews. The Hasidic Jews would not even look at you when you walk by. They very much uh, were very dismissive of Christians as you would walk by. This is something that many people in the West, us in the United States, just do not understand. We think, uh, we say, this have this phrase, Judeo-Christian values, as if the Jews and Christians are the same. Now, I like the term, I use the term, the Ten Commandment Americans. Uh, Ten Commandment Americans because I am all 100% in support of Christians or people in America who support the Ten Commandments. If you are someone who believes in Ten Commandments and you will follow the Ten Commandments, well, then I can be on your side at least in a political battle. But I think it's an error to try to say Judeo-Christian values. Unless by Judeo-Christian we're referring to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because, yeah, I mean, whenever we say Jews are our elder brothers in the faith, certainly there are elder brothers in the faith. Elias, Moses, all these people of the Old Testament are our elder brothers in the faith. But the Jews that are around today are not the same Jews that were around then. This is they, they post-Christian Jews are not the same. That's very important for us to keep in mind. And this is a very good, the newly appointed Cardinal Pizza Bala 
who is a Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, and also Pope Francis. It's kind of strange. Pope Francis made Pisabala a cardinal, and he is actually the first cardinal who is also the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, which is really interesting. Um, it probably has more significance than I am even aware of, but it is really interesting nonetheless. So Cardinal, the newly appointed Cardinal Pisabala, says, quote, Recently, it has become more common. It's related to ultra-Orthodox and religious Zionist groups and movements. The presence of these groups in Jerusalem's old city is greater than in the past. There's no doubt that there are rabbis who approve or even encourage it. He says, what's happening with Christians isn't an isolated thing. We see an increase in violence within both Israeli and Palestine societies. What we're seeing with Christians is part of a wider phenomenon. Moderate voices aren't being heard and extreme voices are getting stronger. We are in contact with the authorities and police on this matter. Now, I think this is interesting to note because this is the same situation we see with what other group? Muslims. Because Muslims are also anti-Christian. They're also anti-Jewish. They're also anti-everybody who's not Muslim. But the thing is, people will say, oh yeah, these are the extremist Muslims. These are the radical Muslims. But really, these are the Muslims who are following the Quran. And I think Robert Spencer does a great job of explaining, he has a great talk called, the only good Muslim is a bad Muslim. And what he means by that is that if you are a good person, you're not bullying Christians, you're not coming after, trying to take over land, well, you're not a good Muslim. You're a bad Muslim. You're not following the Quran. But that's good. I'm glad you're doing that, is what he's, what he's saying. The same thing can be applied here. Because the Jews, if you look at the text post-Christ, this is very, very important. Rabbinic Judaism is not the same thing as Temple Judaism. Temple Judaism, the what we know for the Jews of the Old Testament is not the same thing as the Jews of the New Testament or post-New Testament. Then you start having the rabbinic tradition, which, yes, I understand the rabbinic tradition predates the New Testament, but you could making a, making a general generalized statement, post-New Testament Jews are rabbinic Jews, and they're following a rabbinic tradition, which came to be developed as a Talmudic tradition. So then you have the Talmud that is created, and the Talmud is very, very anti-Christian. I mean, it's simply the case. People like to say that's anti-Semitic, but I don't understand why that would be anti-Semitic. Is it anti-Islamic? I guess people would say it is anti-Islamic to say that Muslims are against Christians. Um, Well, some people would say that, but it's not. It's simply regarding the fact that that is simply what it says. And so many Jews who adhere strictly to the Talmudic tradition, and you know, the problem with the Talmudic tradition is it's so large. They said that you can fill an entire library with just the Talmud and its commentaries. And I mean, this is a problem because now you have some Jews who follow strictly a very particular rabbinic tradition that follows the Talmudic tradition. And they're very anti-Christian. They're very anti-Christ. They see Catholics as, as polytheists because we worship a Trinity. They recognize us as worshiping the Messiah who is God himself, the son of God. And they reject that. And so of course they're going to act this way. Of course, they're going to be this way. Now, I think this is important to note because this is a a problem among Christians that we kind of want to try to raise up the Jews to be the same Jews of the Old Testament and say, look, these are a model of how we would have been before. That's not the case because they're not doing temple worship. They're not doing animal sacrifice because the animal sacrifice from the temple in which we are imitating with this holy sacrifice in the mass, the un 
bloody sacrifice of the lamb. This is very important. We're not support. We're not celebrating the same holidays that they are support celebrating. We're celebrating completely different holidays. Now, this is important to keep in mind. Now, many other people have commented on this as well. He says here, quote, what happened with right wing religious nationalism is that Jewish identity has been growing around anti-Christianity, said Yiska Harani, a Christianity expert and founder of an, uh, of an Israeli hotline for anti-Christian assaults. He says, quote, even if the government doesn't encourage it, they hint that there will be no sanctions. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I think that's very, very interesting. Now, many people are blaming, they're blaming the Christians. They're saying that, I I would call this victim blaming. They said here, perhaps under the influence of Western culture, we have somewhat forgotten what Christianity is. I think millions of Jews who suffered in exile from the Crusades will never forget. So they're saying, you know, we were mean to them at the Crusades, so therefore it's okay now. That's actually the same argument they make about the Muslims, which I think is kind of funny. The, the parallel there is really interesting. Now, Ishal Yared, I'm, I'm butchering, these Israeli names are very difficult for me. He said, is an ultra-nationalist settler, is, is known as a, quote, an ultra-nationalist settler leader and former advisor to lawmaker Netanyahu's government coalition. He defended the spitters saying, quote, the spitting, the spitting at Christian clergy and at churches was an ancient Jewish tradition. I think that's very interesting. I think it's very interesting because if a Christian said the same thing, they'd be labeled anti-Semitic. But this guy who is a Jewish, known as a ultra-nationalist, you know, it's very hard for me to understand what people mean when they say ultra-nationalist, right-wing, radical, because they say the same thing. They, they will apply that to everybody. So it's always hard to tell what's mainstream and what's not mainstream. But the fact that he was an advisor to Netanyahu who is a prime minister of Israel, does say a lot, in my opinion. So I think it's very important to keep in mind that this is happening, and it's happening all the time. I also was seeing, at the same time, uh, videos of Orthodox Jews spitting at nuns, which was uh, kind of made my blood boil a little bit. There was also the videos of the Zionists throwing rocks at the shrine of Elias, St. Elias, which I'm like, um, you're Jews. St. Elias was a, was a Jew. Like, what do you, Why are you... What? Why are you doing that? And so they had uh, a bunch of attacks against Catholics all over the Holy Land, Christians in general. But uh, you know, there's really not a lot of Protestants in the Holy Land. It's really the Jew, the Catholics, the Orthodox, and the Armenians. And it's mostly between that. It's the Catholics and the Orthodox who run the Holy Land. Uh, but you know, nonetheless, Protestants are are jumped are thrown in there as well. So I think it's important to keep in mind, but we'll move on to other stories because let's move on to a good news story. Praise be to God. The Ohio Archbishop urges Catholics to vote no on dangerous pro-abortion, pro-transgender amendments. I think he deserves a round of applause for that. Way to go, Archbishop. He, uh, Archbishop Dennis Schnur denounced the pro-abortion ballot measure in Ohio as, quote, a clear threat to human life and dignity. Now, he has a pre-recorded sermon that he gave that was sent all over parishes across the Cincinnati Archdiocese, and I have a hold of it. So maybe maybe if we have time, a later date, we'll play it because I, I, it was really good. And I, and I said this at the time. I said this weeks ago whenever we were talking about this. Why are the bishops in Ohio not standing up against this? And I said, if an archbishop comes out and speaks clearly and boldly against this amendment, then I will praise him to high heaven. 
I, I want bishops to be good. I'm not against the bishops. I want them to be holy men. I want them to stand up for Christ and his church. And when they do so, they deserve to be praised for it. They deserve to get applause for it. So praise be to God. Thank you very much, Archbishop Schnur. And I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. The It's an amazing thing that he came out and against this. And I hope, I hope to God that this encourages more priests to recognize it's not wrong to speak out against evil policies. Just because it's going up for a vote doesn't mean that Catholics can't talk about it. Just because it's up in the political sphere doesn't mean it's also not in the Catholic sphere. I'm very happy that this happened, and I hope I hope that God encourages more of the bishops in Ohio. And if every single bishop comes out in Ohio, I will mention every single one of them by name, and I'll give them praise, and I will play the things that they have to say in regards to this to this manner, because this is so good. Schnur told Catholics that voting on issue one, quote, effectively maintains the status quo on the issue of abortion in Ohio. It leaves it up to the legislature and court to determine how accessible or how limited the abortion will be. I think that's also important to note that when many people are talking about this, this is not even, if they vote no, it doesn't even ban abortion. This just means that it's not going to enshrine abortion in the Constitution in Ohio. That's all it means. It's not even, that's why it's crazy when people are like, this is a radical position. It's literally just saying, let's not put it into the Constitution. Now, obviously, we want to go and we want to ban this outright completely in Ohio, but I'm glad that this is a good first step in the right direction. Praise be to God. So say a prayer today in Thanksgiving for him speaking up, but keep praying for Ohio because this is coming up very soon and we do not want another state to fall to the abominable task of abortion. We'll be right back with Julio Laredo right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. The Department of Justice unveils fentanyl cases against Chinese companies and nationalists. The indictments charge China-based companies and their employees with crimes relating to fentanyl and methamphetamine production, the distribution of synthetic opioids, and sales of the chemicals used to make them. 
The new charges include eight indictments against Chinese companies and 12 against Chinese nationals. Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco announced on Tuesday. She says, quote, As alleged in today's indictments, the defendants used a range of trafficking tactics to ply their deadly trade and cover their tracks, from blatant online advertising and encrypted messaging apps to fake shipping schemes and Bitcoin payments, unquote. And the Biden administration waives 26 federal laws to build a wall. The Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas cited an acute and immediate need to waive dozens of federal laws to build a border wall in South Texas, where illegal immigration has surged. It's a sharp contrast to the Biden administration's many dismissals of the use of such barriers in the past. And the Federal Trade Commission lawsuit claims Amazon ran secret algorithm to manipulate prices and expand profits. Amazon finds itself under the FTC microscope as the federal agency scrutinizes the e-commerce giant's business as part of its lawsuit against Jeff Bezos's company. The latest allegations include that the company used a secret algorithm dubbed Project Nessie to manipulate prices and expand the company's profits. The algorithm was instrumental in bolstering Amazon's profits across a wide variety of shopping categories. Not only did it serve to enhance Amazon's financial gains, but it also inadvertently nudged competitors into elevating their prices, thereby imposing a financial burden on consumers. Now, those are all your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Joining us right now is Mr. Julio Laredo. He is one of the founding members of Tradition in Action in Peru, um, being Peruvian himself, but he is a member of the America's, or the, the Society of Tradition, Family, and Property, and he is over out in the, in the Rome area in Italy. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Julio. Good morning, Adrian. It's very nice to be, to be here, and thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, of course. It's good to have you on. Now, I have in my hand your book, Liberation Theology, How Marxism Infiltrated the Catholic Church, which we talked to you on this show in the past about. Uh, but I think it is very relevant today uh, to bring it back up because there was a I, I had promised I had talked about the synod on synodality for two days, Monday and Tuesday. And I said, OK, the rest of the week, we're done with it. I'll cover it again. Maybe next week. Won't talk about it anymore. And and I'm promised and I, I'm keeping my promise because there was a new document that was related, unrelated to the Synod, Laudate Deum of the Holy Father Francis, an apostolic exhortation, which is addressed to, quote, all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. And so it's just absolutely, just it's just so much going on in Rome today. There was, this, there was three dubias submitted and two answered. There was an apostolic exhortation. There's a synod going on. There's cardinals being appointed. It's just a, all this happening within seven days. It's just a, a head spinning in terms of how many things are going on. Uh, but, Mr. Julio, let's start with Laudate Deum in terms of uh, what this is. It's an apostolic exhortation. What does that mean? Well, in, in the church, there's a whole hierarchy of, of uh, weight that a document can have. The highest, of course, is a ex cathedra, a definition of, of a dogma. Then comes an encyclical, etc., all the way down to a motu proprio, which literally means my own writing. Now, um, an apostolic exhortation is uh, is oriented towards a pastoral end, and it's uh, intended to exhort the faithful. And this is one of the first very strange. Uh, elements in this 
in Laudate Deum, that it is not uh, published for the faithful, it's published for all people of goodwill, whatever that, that means. Now, uh, but there's a fundamental flaw in this doc document, which is, and uh, 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 our, our listeners, our public has to know about this. You know, we all know that the church has as a symbol the two, the two keys, the golden key and the silver key. The golden key uh, represents or uh, signifies the direct spiritual power of the church. The silver key represents the indirect secular power of the church in ratione peccatum, that is, when there is a sin. For example, um, I heard the program I entered some minutes before you were speaking about abortion in Ohio. Abortion is a political issue, but it's also a moral issue. And because it's a moral issue, the church has a say about abortion. A church maybe cannot say vote for this candidate and not for that one, but the church can say don't vote for pro-abortion candidates because that's a moral issue. Now, science is absolutely out of the church's authority. It's totally out of the church's authority. There cannot be a Catholic magisterium on Einstein's theory of relativity, for example, or the dogma about uh, 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 Newtonian physics. That's absolutely absurd. So, a an apostolic, uh, apostolic exhortation on, on a subject that is exquisitely scientific is absolutely out of this world, is absolutely out of any parameter within the church's uh, authority. A second point is this, that it says nothing new. I just read an article of mine to prepare this, which I wrote 20 years ago. I'm going to publish it verbatim because 20 years ago I was uh, speaking about the green agenda coming from the UN, the United Nations, and it's exactly what this document uh, quotes and it's exactly what this document is all about. So there's absolutely nothing, nothing new. Now, someone can say, well, but a Pope can, uh, can express his uh, opinion about anything. Yes, he can, but then he's expressing his own personal opinion. It is not part of the magisterium of the church because the scientific uh, field is totally out of the church's authority. The church can only speak about things that pertain to theology, to morals, uh, and to the, uh, even for the philosophical, philosophical truth. A third thing that's, that um, baffles or uh, shocks in, in reading this, doc, this document is the sources. It, uh, it quotes, because there is a Christian uh, ecology, that there, there's a Christian study on about uh, environment, but this is not what the Pope quotes in this doc document. The Pope quotes all the documents which are have been coming from left-wing uh, 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 quarters. For example, the, uh, the Rome Club, founded in 1971, which has produced several doc documents, Limits to Development, 1971, the first global uh, revolution in 1991, etc. It quotes all the resolutions of the United Nations about, about climate, uh, um, 
um, especially the UNCED, United Nations Conference for in Environment and Development. Now, this comes nothing more, nothing less than from the Socialist International. I interviewed in, uh, during the Rio, Rio de Janeiro summit, the so-called the Earth Summit, 1992, I, in I interviewed the Prime Minister of Norway, uh, Gro Harlem Brundtland, who was also Vice President of the Socialist, uh, Socialist uh, International. And I asked her, uh, ma'am, all these things that are being discussed by the United Nations come from the Socialist International. And she said, yes, it's us, the Socialists, who have been preparing all this green agenda throughout decades. We've been studying and we've been producing documents, for example, the Brandt Report in 1980, the Brundtland Report in 1987, et cetera, et cetera. For someone who has been studied this socialist, left-wing revolutionary uh, environmentalism, this document is a deja vu. So um, I, I, I really don't know what to say. Another point is that Half of the doc document is scientific data. Mm. CO2 is growing by 1.3%. It was very and, interesting, yeah. Mr. Julio, that this, this amount of, I think one thing that's interesting was that the sources of the, like you mentioned, it was approximately 70% of the sources were Pope Francis citing himself, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, the majority of it being Saudi Laudato Si, a couple other places, Evangelium Gaudium and Fratelli Tutti. But the vast, vast majority, about 70%, was him citing himself and mostly in Laudato Si. I think that's very interesting that that would be the case. And almost nothing cited before 1970. The oldest thing cited was Paul VI's address, uh, which I thought was also very interesting. And you mentioned the topic of the 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 numbers that were given. I mean, this was very clearly a scientific paper that was put out. And I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the New World Order because that had a huge element in regards to what we're talking about here and very concerning to me. Uh, we'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. And thank you to Mr. Julio Laredo. More right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Many times have you heard the complaint that church is boring, that we just do the same things over and over again? Well, the problem is not that church is boring, it's that we are bored. We are the problem. And not just with church, but with everything else. We have lost our childlike sense of wonder. G.K. Chesterton says that children have abounding vitality, and yet they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again! And the grown-up person does it until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, Do it again to the sun. And every evening, Do it again to the moon. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to do some Bible reading. 
Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. We're joined right now with Mr. Julio Loretto. He's the author of Liberation Theology, How Marxism Infiltrated the Catholic Church. And the reason why I bring up this book is because there is a huge element to the document, Laudate Deum, that the Holy Father just released from the Feast of St. Francis of Assisi, this apostolic exhortation. And in it, there is a huge section that's dedicated to talking about world governments. And it was very concerning what he had to say about world governments. It almost, I mean, honestly, if you had told me that this was Klaus Schwab who said this, I would not be surprised. If he said it was uh, something out of out of the World Economic Forum, I would have believed you. So, Mr. Julio, what is going on with uh, with the comments on the international governments? No, um, it's very simple. The green agenda comes together with a dictatorial agenda because you, uh, uh, they, they've even speaking about, they, they have been speaking about, for example, the formation of the green, green, uh, green berets uh, of the United Nations, like the blue, the blue hel- uh, helmets and the uh, green helmets, would be an international militia to impose the green agenda throughout the world. And, and this has been a talk already since the, 19, since the 1970s because it's, it's, it's obvious that not every, every country will accept the green uh, agenda, in premis, the United States. So there have always been, a, a, a parallel to the green agenda talk, there's always been a talk of a worldwide wide, uh, dictatorship. Because what is the, uh, the bottom line of, this, uh, of the whole panorama? The bottom line is this. We've been overstepping our capabilities of, ex- of exploiting the earth. We've been living in a much higher standard of living than the earth would uh, uh, allow. So we have to drastically lower our standard of living. We have to drastically lower our, our, our way of living in order to consume less. Less so that the earth can support a much lower level of, uh, of uh, consumerism or uh, uh, consumption. Now, do you think, Adrian, do you think that Americans would let go of their cars? Do you think <laughs> the Americans would let, let go? You live in Texas. Uh, Americans would let go of air conditioning. Yeah, so it would be impossible in, uh, in, ta- in Houston to, to let go of air conditioning. I think we would uh, die of stroke. Uh, but no, I mean, this is very important, especially since considering that the, the Ford F-150 a massive truck is the, still the highest selling vehicle. I'm pretty sure it's the highest selling vehicle in America. Um, and so I think that's important to keep in mind when we're talking about this. And the other thing that's concerning is it kind of sets up this poor versus rich mentality that kind of echoes the sentiments of Marxism. Absolutely, yes. I've, I've done several articles that are about this. In all the classical, between quotation, Marxism, it was the dialectical struggle, the class struggle between the proletarians and the bourgeoisie. This has been superseded by a north-south uh, the dialectic in where, uh, where the south are the poor countries and the north are the rich con- countries. Well, the weapons of this North versus South uh, struggle is the green agenda, is 
environmentalists. Because of course, they will not apply the green agenda in uh, in Africa. They will not apply it in Asia. They will only apply it in uh, in the Western in the Western Western world. Now, and this is the great enemy. Who is the enemy uh, in the uh, apostolic exhortation? Let me read it because this uh, this is impressive. If we consider the emissions per individual in the United States are about two times greater than those of individuals living uh, in China. We can state that a broad change of the irresponsible lifestyle connected with the Western model. Mm. Irresponsible lifestyle connected to the Western, uh, Western model. This is the model that will have to be um, destroyed and um, uh, changed with a much more simple and much more earth-to-earth uh, -earth model. Now, what is the model the apostolic exhortation Laudate Deum gives? Um, excuse me, because I took several. For this reason, a healthy ecology is the result of interaction between human beings and the environment as occurs in the indigenous cultures and has occurred for centuries in different regions of, of the earth. That is, Pope Francis puts as the model for our society, the tribal society. And this is the whole idea of tribalism as the end result of the revolutionary process that wants to destroy everything. So it's true that it's a, it's a world, it's a new world order, but especially it's a new world chaos. Now, Mr. Julio, the it's interesting that you bring up the, the indigenous peoples as a model because recently many people in response to the Synod have been saying, hey, look, the Amazonian Synod, everybody was saying that this was going to be a disaster and it was a big nothing burger, so why should I believe you here? Uh, but you're saying that the Amazonian Synod actually does have intellectual effect that we're now seeing start to come to fruition in this document. Is that the case, Mr. Julio? Yes, and the Amazon Synod has had its results for the Amazon region. And, for example, the fact that the Pachamama was, was, was venerated in the, in the Vatican and even today, this type of uh, very, very strange rites are celebrated in some, in some uh, 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 churches. The Amazon Synod did not reach its, uh, its, uh, its final goal just because there was a reaction. Mm. We call them red-handed. We mean the Catholics who denounced right. it. We, we call them uh, red-handed. Uh, red and they had to with, uh, withdraw the most radical um, elements of their agenda. But for example, the synod, the synodal church is already uh, in place in the Amazon. They created an Amazonian synod, not a bishop synod, but a synod. So already the, the synod on synodality, that's a reality in the Amazon re region because they're, they're already working on this, on this, on this, on this ground. But you see, you know, it's also um, interesting, Mr. Julio, kind of shifting topics a little bit back to the Laudato Deum. In paragraph 36, it says, It continues to be regrettable that global crises are being squandered when they could be the occasion to bring about beneficial change. Uh, this is what happened in the 2007-2008 financial crisis and again with the COVID-19 crisis for, quote, 
The actual strategies developed worldwide in the wake of those crises foster greater individualism, less integration, and increased freedom from the truly powerful who always find a way to escape unscathed. End quote. I was kind of surprised reading this. I was thinking, squandering the crisis. That sounds like that sounds like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton talking about never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, what say you, Mr. Julio? Well, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were just were just following Alinsky, who said you have to rub uh, conflict raw, and this is what they are what they are what they are doing. But you see, the solution uh, they present is a new multilateralism from below, uh, and not one determined by the elites of power. The elites have to be destroyed with an uh, egalitarian spirit. And the elite countries, number one, the United States of America, have to be, if not destroyed, lowered. And says this presupposes the development of a new procedure for decision making. That's direct democracy. So you, you see, this is a document for worldwide revolution uh, under the pretext of the green agenda or environmentalism. Uh, for yes, yes, it is. I mean the the whole document was was very was very sad, especially considering you know so many Americans love the Holy Father, they want what's best for the Holy Father, they pray for the Holy Father, and yet for some reason, maybe you can understand this for us. He has a antipathy for the American people and a defense of the Chinese Communist Party. Why is that the case? Well, this will take us, uh, dear Adrian, very, very far, but I can just tell you mm. one or two things. Uh, if you if you know the so-called populist current or populist movement in Latin America, especially in Argentina, Uruguay, Brazil, uh, it began in the 1930s and it was a movement uh, against the elites. It produced several uh, revolutions like in Brazil in 1930. And it produced concretely in Argentina a um, the present Perón and the Peronism, the Peronismo. Well, the Peronismo is a populism. What is populism? They see uh, history as the dialectics between people and anti-people. So the people is what comes from below. The anti-people is what comes from above. Very uh, simply, simply said. And everything that comes from above, from the elites, has to be destroyed. Well, Pope Francis comes from this, from this uh, uh, background. He was—he's a Peronist. He—he he was even a member of the Iron Guard of Peronism, which is the SSS of the Peronist movement, um, because this populism goes from the extreme right to the extreme left. There's a populist extreme right Nazi style, and there's a populist extreme left communist style. Well, and communism has always favored the uh, the Soviet Union and the continuation of the Soviet Union, which is what we are seeing 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 now. So this all this whole background, which I've tried to summarize in two words, but it's of course it's much more complicated and full of nuances. This all back background uh, explains his defense of Russia, of the Orthodox Church, of China, of Cuba, of North Korea, etc. 
and his dislike, to say the least, for the United States, for the Western world, and for the American uh, way of life. Hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting, and it kind of reminds me of Paul VI's position of detente uh, with communist Russia. It seems like it's a very similar situation, but with communist China now, especially considering the, the very deceptive use of language there, saying the emissions per individual in the United States versus those of individuals living in China, as, of course, Americans are going to be using more emissions than an individual Chinese person, but the amount of emissions we put out as a country China excessively exceeds America um, th- rather than the United States. And I think that's a very deceptive use of language. Uh, but uh, Mr. Julio, and with just about a minute left in our conversation, uh, where can people find and follow up information? Are you going to be releasing any documents? And if so, how could we read those? Well, right now we are we're totally f- focused on publishing things about the Synod and about the Dubia. So this week will be totally t- taken not only by us, TFP, but every everybody in Rome. This document has not been largely commented because it's overwhelmed by the Senate and it's overwhelmed by the Dubia. So we will start publishing things next next week in our news newsletter. I'm sure that the American TFP, which has a fantastic newsletter and fantastic authors like John like John Harvard, they will also be commented. Thank you, Mr. Julio. We'll be right back with more Catholic Drive Time right after this. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. She's having a relationship with George. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue. You're navigating a loss. You want to improve your health or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to study a section of the catechism. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. My heart wasn't really in um, my faith. There was more to life than what I was doing. I walked into the church and I really believed that uh, putting my hand in the holy water that it was going to bubble over and the church was going to collapse. And I was really nervous. I couldn't imagine life without being a part of the church. When I walk in the doors of the Catholic Church now, I feel alive. 
complete and at home. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. Praise be to God. Hey, Rudy, you mentioned this earlier um, in their news break, and I, I meant to talk about it at 15 past the hour, but we just ran out of time. I just wanted to bring it up the about the House Speaker being ousted. Yeah. And now they're looking for a new one. Yeah. And I was like, guys. Did you update your resume? You know, you don't have to be in the House to be appointed House Speaker. Mm-hmm. If anyone wants to appoint me as House Speaker, I promise I will do a great job. Source, trust me, bro. (laughs) 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 So if you know anybody in the house that's uh, thinking of trying to come up with with recommendations, I would gladly accept the position in all humility of being House Speaker. So feel free to nominate me. Perhaps we'll talk about the House Speaker issue tomorrow if we have time. But praise be to God, I'm, I'm already ahead of time accepting it. On their on on my behalf. So you want to work with these bozos? Yes, really. I, I want to. Uh, uh, the ha- the house speaker has a lot of power, man. Oh, it's, well, yeah, he actually has a lot of power, and he can shut things down that need to be shut down. He can bring issues to the table that need to be brought up, and at the very least, he can bring up topics that get national attention and that get um they get coverage, even if they get he gets shut down from everyone else. So I think it's interesting. Not to mention. I'd be like, everybody who uh, violates the law, Republican or Democrat, <laughs> you guys are getting uh, thrown in the clinker. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to be great for this is good stuff for my uh, campaign for House Speaker, right? There's it, not enough room there. All the January 6th uh, you know, people <laughs> are still in jail. So, no, oh, there's not enough room to throw people in the clinker. Oh, that's not funny. <laughs> Oh, man, that's bad. That's true. That's true. But let's move on from some bad news. Um, this was supposed to just be me pitching my House Speakership uh, role, but instead it's turned into something else. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about this more tomorrow. Uh, joining us right now is Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen Today. Uh, Bishop Sheen Today, an amazing way to get information on Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Alan Smith. Uh, good morning, Adrian. It is good to hear that you have aspirations for the Oval Office and, uh, you know, help to change America for the better, uh, beginning by House Speaker, and then uh, we can go from there. But uh, our blessed Lord said, you know, uh, take the lower position first, uh, and then you'll be raised up. So you have to keep at uh, being the host of Catholic Drive Time for a few more months, and okay. uh, we will see. Okay. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> then, Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Now, Alan, but, uh, you said you wanted to talk today about Calvary and the Mass, and I, that is easily one of my favorite little books from Fulton Sheen, and it's really small, too. You could easily get through it in a day if you wanted to, or read it every day if you wanted to. It's it's that small. Uh, but tell me about this book, Calvary and the Mass. Right. Well, it was a, a book that Fulton Sheen penned in the year 1936. Uh, it was part of his Lenten series, uh, Sheen was known for his 
uh, reflections on the seven last words. And every year during the season of Lent, he developed a different theme. One year, he talked about the seven deadly sins and the seven last words. Another year, seven virtues and the seven last words. Another year, beatitudes and the seven last words. But in 36, he thought, I will share about the glories of the Mass and how the Mass is tied into the seven last words, because it really is the source and summit of our life. We should be striving to put Holy Mass on our calendars, on our agenda, on our schedules. Like, what are we really, are we really looking forward to going to Mass? It is the pinnacle. Yet in society, we've kind of just said, Mass, take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. um, I think even more today, we need to refocus our thoughts on the Mass. What's happening at the Mass? You know, you hear the commercials, oh, I'm bored at Mass. Well, it's not, you're bored, <laughs> it's boring. No, you're bored. But if you would just take a few moments to think of what's really happening at the Mass, um, it just becomes alive. And that's what Fulton Sheen does in this book. He takes the Mass and he almost um, reveals that it is a passion play. All of us love to go and watch the passion play. We, you know, we become participants in the passion play. We get to shout out things. We get to watch uh, and again, become not just spectators, but actors in the drama of the cross. And so Fulton Sheen does that. He says, okay, let me reveal to you the seven parts of the mass and how they tie in beautifully to the seven last words. And I tell you, it's really helped me in my, um, you know, uh, participation at mass. Uh, I can get caught in just going through the rhythms but when I think of how the Mass is Calvary reenacted, all of a sudden it has great meaning. So when we come to that part of the Mass, the Confidior, we think of our Lord saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Like, do we really reflect about being story and to know that God has this great mercy for us? Jesus is saying, I forgive you. He's asking God, the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Very beautiful. Sometimes we just go at the beginning of Mass, we run through it. But if we just take the time to say, no, our Lord's speaking to us from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, all of a sudden, you start to become that participant in Calvary being reenacted. And that's just the first act of the word, the Confidior. And we'll continue to unpack this. But I think it's this idea we need a refresher course on the Mass, especially today. Now, I think that's interesting because we kind of, mm, I don't know how to say, maybe ignore the first part of the Mass. We kind of have this idea that the most important part of the Mass is the reading of Scripture and the Holy Eucharist and everything else is just is just superfluous, it's just extras, and that they're not that important. But it's, it's not the case. I mean, these things are very integral. The very reason why we have the Confidior the reason why we pray the prayers at the foot of the altar are to prepare us to go unto the altar of God. And I think that's very important to keep in mind. Before we move on to the offertory, could you speak a little bit about the importance of these these little prayers that we, that we kind of treat as insignificant, uh, but actually have a great reason for being there? Yeah, I think it's this whole thing of, are we preparing? Uh, you mentioned the prayers at the foot of the altar. Now, I, I clarify that in 1936, 
the traditional Latin Mass was the only Mass that uh, was uh, known to people. And so the terminology used, the confidior, the offertory, uh, you know, the consecration, the item missa s, the last gospel, these are all terms familiar to those who go to the traditional Latin Mass. But I like to say that these are still part of the Mass that people would know going today. So uh, again, there's still those seven elements of the Mass. But it's that idea of preparation. I know for people that go to um, the new Mass, they run through and ramble through, I confess to Almighty God, to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned through my fault. My, like, we just ram through it. But I think what the Church has always provided us with this opportunity is, I want you to reflect to say those through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Like, are we really coming before God to say, I'm getting ready to receive you in Holy Communion, and I want to be as uh, worthy as I can, you know, um, in the sense that I want to be sorry for my sin, ask for forgiveness, and of course, uh, have that opportunity to receive the Lord worthily. So it's preparation, preparation, preparation. It's so important. Yeah, one of my favorite things about the traditional Mass is the second confidior, is the fact that we do a confidior at the beginning of Mass, I confess to Almighty God, and then at the end of Mass, or before receiving communion, there's a second confidior, because it just has this book-end mentality of, I'm going unto the altar of God, who to God who giveth joy to my youth, and my and I'm preparing myself by confessing, by by recognize that I'm sorry for my sins. And then before receiving communion, you you echo it again and say, I'm not worthy that you should enter my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Uh, I don't want to belabor the point, but I mean, we can literally talk the rest of the day about that. But let's move over to the offertory here. Uh, what does Fulton Sheen have to say about the offertory and how to prepare for that? Right. Well, what he's saying is uh, he wants us to reflect on the good thief and to use him as our example. Uh, of course, his name tradition says he is Saint Dismas, and Saint Dismas uh, was agonizing on his cross. Uh, yet he had this moment of clarity where he looked upon the Lord and saw that he was a king and asked the Lord to uh, remember him. And I think this is what we're doing during the offertory. We're presenting to the Lord our petitions. We're offering him our lives. And uh, it's what Fulton Sheen writes. He talks about we are the small host being put onto the pattern with the larger host. We are taking our small crosses and uniting them to the cross of Christ. And this is the whole idea of, you know, having hope that we will be united with Christ one day, but that he listens to us and that we offer all of our intentions to him. And so that good thief had that moment of clarity, as I said before, and he saw the Lord and he gave him his intention. Remember me, remember me. And of course, the Lord fulfilled a beautiful promise when he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. So uh, we will hear those words too. Uh, but we need to unite ourselves to the cross of Christ, the, the small cross to the big cross, the small host to the big host. And do we take that time to give our Lord that little offering as the Mass is um, continuing? So uh, again, that beautiful moment to think about the good thief. Yeah, I think it's important to keep that in mind because... Uh, we kind of have this mindset in the modern world today that the offertory, the modern church today, the offertory is the bringing of the bread, the bringing of the wine, the giving of the money, and that's what we're giving to God. 
And I think that that is a deficient understanding. Is it true that we're giving those things? Of course. I mean, there's an element to it that that's true, uh, but that's a secondary meaning. The primary meaning is what you're saying is that we are placing ourselves in the patent there, that we are offering our very selves, our very souls along with the crucifixion of our Lord. And that is to be our primary reason and the primary meaning of the offertory. Yes, of course, we should be giving to the taking care of the parish. Yes, we should be providing monetary funds for the parish and for the needy. Uh, but at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, the most important thing is our offering of our very selves. And I think that's often lost today. Uh, was there anything else about the offertory before we move on? Well, I think what we have to remember is that uh, Fulton Sheen writes, he says, when our Lord was on the cross, he was alone. But at the Mass, he's with us. Mm. Uh, we're with him at, at Calvary. So I think that's where we have to unite and say, Lord, I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And uh, again, that was, again, 2,000 years ago, our Lord was alone. But today at the Mass, he's with us and we're with him. So uh, important to remember, we have this encounter with Christ. Um, I think sometimes people will go to Mass and say they don't really have that experience of the encounter with Christ. But yet we get to see him, body, blood, soul, and divinity at each Mass and receive him. So uh, again, we should be celebrating that. And I say to people, you know, they say, where are you going on Sunday? I say, I'm driving to Calvary. I'm driving to Calvary. It helps me to get in my mind uh, in that framework to say, I'm going to go see Calvary reenacted and, of course, receive the Lord. But, uh, you know, so this Sunday when you say, where are you going? I'm driving to Calvary. Amen. That one. Wow. Praise be to God. Yeah, that's something definitely to keep in mind, especially for those who, I mean, there's so many people out there who their local parish isn't the greatest, and so they drive out quite a distance to get to Holy Mass, and it really puts it into perspective whenever you're saying, you know, I I have to make the sacrifice, i got to get up extra early, especially if you have kids, now i got to deal with making sure they're all ready, and they're all ready early, and then i got to deal with the kids complaining in the car ride, and it's a far drive to get to the Mass that that is reverent, that, that treats our Lord as we desire Him to be treated, and we recognize this is hard. And but what you're saying here really puts it in perspective. I'm driving to Calvary. I'm heading to Calvary. So, of course, there should be suffering. Of course, it's going to be difficult. And now, Alan, we're out of time. We're going to have to pick up on Calvary and the Mass next week. But there is much more to say. We're going to pick up on the Sanctus next week. But God bless you. God love you, Alan. God love you, too. Now check them out, bishopsheentoday.com, bishopsheentoday.com for more of Bishop Sheen with Alan Smith, bishopsheentoday.com. We're going to go to our Fear and Trembling Game Show where we're going to be giving out prizes and you could win them. How do you do so? Dial now, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. That number, 877-757-9424. Let me give you that number before we go to break. 877-757-9424. Call now. We're going to take the first caller, so you'll be the first caller if you call now. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question if you're not a Catholic friend. The book of Esther does not mention the words God, Lord, sin, Savior, salvation, heaven, or hell. Are you sure it's supposed to be in the Bible? Martin Luther said no. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a promise. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles into all truth. Those early church fathers, popes, bishops, synods, and councils were all under the influence of the Holy Spirit as they discerned which writing should or should not be in the Bible, and Esther was included. Secondly, for a writing to be understood as divinely inspired and worthy of canonicity, it was not a necessity to contain any theological explanations. And thirdly, a tough comeback. Oftentimes we deceive ourselves by wanting to trust that very contemporary and subjective term called the inner witness. Our own arrogance can blind us. The feeling of, quote, an inner witness is as dangerous as standing at the edge of a windy, jagged cliff. So on a religious feeling, don't just immediately buy into passionate testimonies, new truths, or prophetic texts. That four-letter word, feel, will get you every time ever feel like life's just too busy and too much? There's constant noise, social life, traffic, work, paying bills. It just doesn't seem to let up. Well, maybe it's time for a change. See, God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace and less chaos, find your hope today. Begin at CatholicsComeHome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Seven five seven ninety four twenty four. That's number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. And I have a good news for you. The next person to pick up the phone and dial 877-757-9424 has amazing odds of being our winner this week. Now, you may be asking, what exactly am I calling in for? Well, let me tell you. Where Here in front of me, I have three Catholic trivia questions. And... I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions, which means you don't even need to know the answers to win. And Rudy's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not Rudy is right or whether or not Rudy is wrong. And you'll have 15 seconds on the clock to give me an answer, meaning if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer right. So every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy... What could they win? Praise be to God. You can win a prize pack from the Mother Cabrini Shrine. Now, every wow. time I take a trip, I like to make sure that there's something Catholic. To, mm. you know, we take a vacation. We go to somewhere Catholic, somewhere somewhere nice. We make sure we travel around the Mass, all those important aspects of the faith. Now, I had this wonderful opportunity to go to the Mother Cabrini Shrine in Colorado. And let me tell you, it was hard going up all the stairs all the way to the top. There was like seven. Oh, man. At least. Seven plus seven plus seven plus seven flights <laughs> of stairs. And uh, I put together a, a prize pack here that's centered around St. Francis Cabrini, who was the uh, – who actually is the patroness of the of immigrants. And she was the foundress of the Missionary Sisters of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Wonderful opportunity. So I'm going to throw in a sun catcher, a car rosary, a little icon – 
I'm going to throw in a, uh, a miraculous medal. Well, not really a miraculous medal, a medal of St. Francis Cabrini, so you could develop your devotion to this great saint. All right. So if you go to a parish named St. Francis Cabrini, you should call. You should call in 877-757-9424. That's the number to call, 877-757-9424. And if you have a devotion to St. Francis Cabrini or know someone who should have a devotion to her, call now, 877-757-9424. Now, if you're telling me, Adrian, I cannot be dialing numbers while I'm driving, that's dangerous. Well, you could actually get our number and put it on speed dial. So that way you could just be like, hey, Siri, call Catholic Drive Time and it'll dial the number for you or, you know, OK, Google or whatever it is. I just activated a bunch of people's stuff. My bad. <laughs> uh, then you can always hop on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT, grnonline.com forward slash cdt and get all of our information listed there our phone number our email uh, the rules of the game all these things are always there so make sure you hop on grnonline.com forward slash cdt to get all that information and much more uh, joining us right now is michaela good morning to you michaela good morning michaela where are you calling in from uh san antonio texas the great city of San Antonio, Texas. Praise be to God. We love San Antonio. You gotta, we gotta give a, a, good, a good thumbs up to Sean Rice. He's he's a good guy, uh, developing great friendships there in San Antonio. Now, Michaela, where are you off to this morning? Uh, I'm off to school with my mom. Hey, praise be to God. Now, your favorite subject in school, Michaela? Um, I like science. Science. Well, praise be yeah. to God. What kind of science do you, do you like the most? Uh, we're doing life science. Life science. School. What is life science? It's like where you uh, you do a lot of dissections. Oh. on animals. Well, maybe uh, maybe you'll you'll be a um, maybe a, you'll be a doctor or a or a veterinarian or something like that. I for one, I remember doing dissections and I was really grossed out. That's not that's not my cup of tea. I'm like. Ooh, that's uh, taking a scalpel. Ooh, no, no, no. Nobody's talking about it. Never mind. I'm not talking. We're not going into this. No, <laughs> Michaela. No. All right, Michaela. Are you familiar with the game? Do you know how to play? Uh, yes. Perfect. Then you know Rudy can be tricky, um, so you have to keep your ears tuned in and make sure that you're able to get the answers correct. Um, do you go to a Catholic school by chance? Yes, I do. I go to St. Anthony. Okay. So she goes to a Catholic school, Rudy. That means... She should know all these answers, and she's going to get 100% correct. And uh, if she doesn't, then she can blame her religion teacher and be like, hey, <laughs> you guys, why don't you all teach me this? This stuff is, is basic information. Uh, are you ready to play, Michaela? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Uh, Rudy, question number one for you. Okay, this is a, I mean, in terms of a Catholic education, this might be the hardest question we've ever had on the history of Catholic drive time. I, I don't know. I don't know. Here's the question. Who is the vicar of Jesus Christ? Who is the vicar of our Lord Jesus Christ? It is us, the lady. Are we ah. not the assembly of God? The census fidelium. The census fidelium. The people the of church. God. The church. Ah. The church. Trademark. The, over the, the church. Okay. I am understanding. I understand what it's you're saying. It's us. It's you and I. 
Absolutely. Okay. Does that mean I have the authority of the Vicar of Christ? In a way, you do. Wow. Praise be. All right, everybody. You heard it here first. Um, you must. I, I speak authoritatively always on everything. All right, Michaela. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, who is the Vicar of Jesus Christ? Uh, Rudy says, it's you and I. It's the laity. We are the people of God. We are the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Uh, what say you, Michaela, from San Antonio, Texas? Um, true. True. Are you sure you want to go with true? Uh, no. <laughs> no, you're not sure. You're going to go with false. no? You're going to go with false. Gonna go false. <laughs> All right, let's see. Survey says... That is correct, Michaela. It is not true. Uh, the people of God are not the Vicar of Christ on Earth. The Vicar of Christ on Earth is the Holy Father, a.k.a. the Pope. He is uh, the vicar of Christ on earth. That's one of his titles, one of his many titles. Uh, but praise be to God, Michaela. And now you can go up to your religion teacher and be like, yo, why didn't you tell me that? You didn't tell me the Pope was a vicar of Christ on earth. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> so now you can tell them that. And the vicar, just you know, running, I don't want to waste too much time on this, but the word vicar means one who stands before, one who stands in place of. And so he is like the, the prime minister of Jesus Christ. So he doesn't replace him. But he stands before him. He stands as his representative. So he can't contradict Jesus Christ, but instead echoes the words of the king and Christ is king. So praise be to God, Michaela. You ready for question number two? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. Question number two. Man, I don't I don't know if I know this question. <laughs> Good luck, Michaela. I don't know if I know the answer to this. Okay, the question is, what is the... Gremial Veil? The Gremial Veil, you mean. Gremial Veil. The okay. Gremial Veil. Okay. Oh, Adrian, you don't know what that is? Uh, I cannot say I do. Okay. It's a philosophical term. Oh. You know, when you hear, we live in the Veil of Tears. Mm, yeah. It's actually mm-hmm. known as I thought the it was Gremial. the Veil of Tears, but okay. The Veil of Tears, the Veil of Tears. It's, it's the Gremial Veil. It means that we live in a broken world. So that's what is referring to this this veil of tears, this gremial veil. Okay, gremial I'll... being another word for tears. Well, Michaela, I don't know if you're going to be able to get this one or not. But 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, what is the gremial veil? Now, Rudy said it's. Adrian, it's simple, my man. It is a reference to the Veil of Tears. It's a reference. We live in the Veil of Tears. To the Veil of Tears. Okay. All right, Michaela. Uh, 15 seconds o'clock. What say you? Is a Grimial Veil reference to the Veil of Tears that we talk about at the Salve Regina? Uh, What say you, Michaela? I think false. She thinks false. I don't know what made her think that. I don't know why she's saying that, but let's see. Survey says that is correct, Michaela. Wow, I don't, that was a that's a difficult question, man. I've never heard of the answer is a rectangular piece of cloth that's placed on a bishop's knees as he distributes ashes on Ash Wednesday or the oils during confirmation. Yeah, yeah. I those vestments really that, are man. really expensive. You don't want to get any ash or oil on them. Yeah, especially the the two at the same time. You don't want them at the same time. Definitely don't want to do it at the same time. They'll never come out. Yeah, that'd be rough. All right. Now you can tell everybody at school, hey, 
Do you guys know what a gremial veil is? Well, I do. <laughs> Y'all don't know that? It's so obvious. Everybody knows that. So just so you know, Michaela, that's the rectangular piece of cloth placed on the bishop's knees as he distributes ashes on Ash Wednesday or oils during confirmation. All right, and Michaela, are you ready for question number three here? I am. Let's do it. Question number three for you. Rudy, what is the miracle that moved Peter to follow Christ? Honestly, if there's any miracle that would get me to follow Christ, if I wasn't already following him right now, it would be catching a fish. Mm. Because I have not caught a fish in like 30 years. I believe I'm it. a horrible fisherman. And that's just what happened to be with St. Peter. All right. Our Lord told him to cast the net, and he got that miraculous catch. All right. 15 seconds on the clock, Michaela. What is the miracle that moved Peter to follow Christ? Rudy says it was the miraculous catch of fish. That was so much that it filled two boats. Uh, What say you, Michaela? 15 seconds on the clock. What say you? True. True, she says. All right. Survey says... That is correct, Michaela. Way to go. You were rocking it, Michaela. God bless you. God love you. How do you feel? I feel pretty good. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Now, we're going to go to it. We're going to put you on hold. Uh, Rudy's going to get your contact information and make sure we get your your mom's information so we can send you that prize should we draw your name out. Uh, But you did great, and now you have something to talk about at class today. But God bless you. God love you. And treat those uh, frogs very nicely today. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Going to put you on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you want to join us in the after show, you're welcome to do so. Hop on YouTube, Facebook, um, not Rumble. Rumble's down for today. But Facebook, YouTube, Odyssey, you can join us there, and we'd love to interact with you. If not, we'll see you back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. And remember, no matter what happens, Viva Cristo Rey, Christ is King. And we'll see you very soon. For joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. At Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel, home of the Salt Community. This morning we celebrate the memorial of St. Faustina. This morning's Mass is being offered for all of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Network, all of our online viewers, for those here present. Sing praise to our Creator, O you of Adam's race. God's children by adoption, baptized into his grace. O most holy Trinity, undivided unity, holy God, mighty God, 
God immortal be adored. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Hear us, God our Savior, that as we rejoice in commemorating the Virgin Blessed Faustina Kowalska, we may be instructed by her loving devotion through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Nehemiah. The whole people gathered as one in an open space before the water gate. And they called upon Ezra the scribe to bring forth the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord prescribed for Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, therefore, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. Standing at one end of the open place that was before the water gate, he read out the book from daybreak until midday, in the presence of the men, the women, and those children old enough to understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. He opened the scroll so that the people might see it, for he was standing higher up than any of the people. And as he opened it, all the people rose. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people. Their hands raised high, answered, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and prostrated themselves before the Lord, their faces to the ground. As the people remained in their places, Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God, interpreting it so that all could understand what was read. Then Nehemiah, that is, His Excellency, and Ezra, the priest scribe, and the Levites, who were 
instructing the people, said to all the people, Today is holy to the Lord your God. Do not be sad and do not weep. For all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. He said further, Go, eat rich foods and drink sweet drinks, and allot portions to those who had nothing prepared. For today is holy to our Lord. Do not be saddened this day, for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. And the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Hush, for today is holy, and you must not be saddened. Then all the people went to eat and drink, to distribute portions, and to celebrate with great joy, for they understood the words that had been expounded to them. The Word of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy, giving wisdom to the simple. The, the precepts, precepts of the, the Lord give joy to the heart. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The command of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eye. The precepts, the precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. They are more precious than gold, than a heap of purest gold, sweeter also than syrup or honey from the comb. The precepts of the Lord give joy to the heart. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus appointed 72 other disciples whom he sent ahead of him in pairs to every town and place he intended to visit. He said to them, The harvest is abundant, but the laborers are few. So ask the master of the harvest to send out laborers for his harvest. Go on your way. Behold, I am sending you like lambs among wolves. Carry no money bag, no sack, no sandals and greet no one along the way. Into whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this household. If a peaceful person lives there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. Stay in the same house and eat and drink whatever is offered to you, for the laborer deserves his payment. Do not move about from one house to another. Whatever town you enter and they welcome you, Eat what is set before you, cure the sick in it, and say to them, The kingdom of God is at hand for you. Whatever town you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, 
The dust of your town that clings to our feet, even that we shake off against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God is at hand. I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom on that day than for that town. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's Gospel, we see Jesus sending out the 72 disciples in pairs to go off and to live as Jesus has lived and to do as Jesus has done. He gives them a commission to go out and to be fruitful laborers in the harvest and for the harvest, to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and to invite people into the pathway of discipleship. It really is the same missionary call that we all have derived from our baptism. We are called to go out and make disciples. We are called to be people who invite people into relationship with Jesus Christ and people who are witnesses to the goodness of God in our life. There's three things from today's gospel that Jesus gives in his assignment to his 72 disciples that I would like to present before us. The first one is that Jesus sends them out in pairs. They go out two by two. They don't go alone. And by going in pairs, of course, they can be a source of support and encouragement to one another. But also, very importantly, when they go out in two, they are able to be witnesses to peace and communion in their own relationship. You can imagine if the two show up in a town and they are fighting like cats and dogs amongst each other, nobody's going to have much interest in hearing what two people like that are going to have to say. But if they show up and they manifest that even in their own relationship with one another, they are people of peace, they are people of communion, they are people of charity with one another, that in itself becomes an attractive quality to say, I would like to see more of that in my own life. Those for married couples, they have that advantage built in to be able to say, if we are able to witness and testify to a wholesome, loving relationship with each other, even though we know each other's imperfections and weaknesses inside and out after all of our years in marriage, but we still have peace and love and harmony in our marriage, that becomes a powerful witness of evangelization. I can say even for me as a priest, normally when I have to go out on a trip or traveling somewhere, when I'm by myself, of course, I'm wearing my clerical garb, and people come up and talk to you, but if you go out in pairs, Sometimes you can't do it because of various reasons, but occasionally when I do have the opportunity to go with someone else, it's amazing how many more conversations and pathways open up because people see you relating, conversing with someone else. It becomes more open atmosphere, easier to come in and talk, and it actually does make a real difference. So this is the first condition. Jesus sends them out in pairs. Be a support, be encouragement, but of course, be witnesses of peace and fraternal charity. The second condition that we see Jesus promoting to his disciples is to be simple. Go out there, no walking stick, no second tunic, sandals. In other words, Jesus is telling us to be simple. I suppose today you could use the word high maintenance. If a person says, well, I'm willing to go, but... Here's what my conditions are. X, Y, and Z has to be present. I have to be staying in this kind of place. You have to treat me this way. I only go to these particular places. The weather is too warm over here. 
Once we start doing that, we place so many conditions upon ourselves that ultimately we reduce and diminish what we're capable of. When one lives a simple lifestyle, one is able to manifest the goodness of God is more than enough in my life to give me happiness and fulfillment. I don't need a bunch of material things and high-maintenance things to keep me happy. God himself is enough for me. And in that simplicity, it becomes a powerful witness. And thirdly, the last point I'd like to draw out from today's gospel is that Jesus sends them like lambs among wolves. And that's very significant because a lamb is always a lamb. And a lamb in the face of a wolf, in terms of a physical confrontation, it's always going to lose. In fact, it's going to get slaughtered. See, the temptation for us oftentimes when we are confronted with the aggressiveness of the world, with the mean-spiritedness of the world around us, it can make us say, I need to dig my heels in and become equally belligerent if I am going to be able to confront this type of attitude. That's not being a lamb. That's becoming a wolf in order to try to conquer a wolf. Jesus tells us, be like me. Jesus, although he was God, although he was all-powerful, he was willing even to submit himself to the hands of men in order to manifest the depth of his saving love by going all the way to the cross, though he certainly had the power to prevent it if he wanted to. And he's reminding us our victory is in the long game, it's in the proclamation, it's in the fulfillment that comes with being a disciple. It is not in handing a day-to-day -day victory of being able to feel like, boy, I really stuck it to that person before they could stick it to me. It's part of our human nature. Be a lamb and remain a lamb even when confronted with an attitude of a wolf. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we ourselves would truly be laborers for the harvest, that we would be people of simplicity, communion, and people who are meek and humble in our confrontation with the sometimes or oftentimes hostile world. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to promote and safeguard the dignity of human life at every phase, especially the unborn, and life at its most vulnerable stage at the end, we pray to the Lord. For our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those listening on Guadalupe Radio Media and our online listeners, and for those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. For the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life, we pray to the Lord. And for the grace that we would always be willing laborers for the harvest of Jesus Christ, we pray to the Lord. For those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. As we proclaim your wonders, O Lord, in the Virgin Blessed Faustina, we humbly implore your majesty that as her merits are pleasing to you, so too our dutiful service may find favor in your sight through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for in the saints who consecrated themselves to Christ for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It is right to celebrate the wonders of your providence, by which you call human nature back to its original holiness and bring it to experience on this earth the gifts you promise in the new world to come. And so with all the angels and saints we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, plenis uncelli et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and did drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith 
We proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope and Michael our Bishop and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion.
My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things and a desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Hallelujah, sing to Jesus, is the scepter, is the throne. Hallelujah, is the triumph, is the victory alone. Hark the songs of peaceful Zion. Thunder like a mighty flood. Jesus, out of every nation, hath redeemed us by his blood. Let us pray. Renewed by partaking of this divine gift, we pray, O Lord our God, that by the example of the blessed Faustina, bearing in our mind the death of Jesus, we may strive to hold fast to you alone, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Immaculate Mary, your praises we sing. You reign now in splendor with Jesus our King. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. Ave, Ave. Maria. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, Thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord, from every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.